Hey brother Hear me now Brother dog Know me Understand Welcome to the Sargasset Podcast. I'm Robbie Thigpen. I'm Francesca Elmer. And I am Mar Fernandez. And we are your hosts for today. And we are going to share with you the latest ideas and concepts about sargassum and sargassum beaching events, which have become an international challenge. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Robbie. Morning. Um, how was your flight back from Mexico? Uh, well, it was seemed like one of those never-ending journeys again. We woke up about 2.30 in the morning to drive to Merida and to catch at the flight. And then I got into uh, in the Raleigh about uh, 7 o'clock that night. And uh, so it was a long, long day. But I got lots of hugs when I got there. And I was, I was getting hugs when I left and by all the little guys and, and all that. So it was... It was all in all, it was a pretty good day. And all, uh, and uh, you know, one, one of the highlights from from my my trip to uh, Quintana Roo was uh, getting to hang out with you and play and meet you for the first time. And, uh, yeah, and that was so a pretty big so thing awesome. there. And all, and um, yeah, I had I, I really enjoyed our, our time there with you and Joseph, and um, and that was a pretty it was a pretty good cool time. And uh, and you know the uh, the trip itself went pretty good. And I was very, very happy with the results from the trip. Uh, it looks like our project will, is going to be well underway. And all, we've made some new friends with the uh, Akumal Monkey Sanctuary over there with uh, Steffi and all those folks. And we, uh, you know, uh, you know, we, we met with uh, old friends and made new friends at the U- University of Quintana Roo and the, uh, with the Marine Megafauna folks over there. And of course, uh, Got everything taken care of with uh, the La Universidad Intercultural Maya de Quintana Roo. We have an official agreement, research agreement with him now, and we're we finalized the uh, details of a research agreement with the uh, Department of Indigenous Education at SEC. And uh, so things are getting pretty excited with our research, and uh, you know, and you know, and uh, you know, I'm really happy to be a part of the Sargassum podcast too, because both of these projects is about clear communication among amongst all stakeholder groups and uh, so it's, a, it's a really nice to be associated with, with uh, these two different entities that are is all, all, all about talking to people and communicating so thank you yes and today we have our second guest this time from the west coast of Africa the other guest was from Tanzania um, Robbie do you want to introduce him yeah, um, we, we, me and uh, Professor Quasi just had a, a nice little chat there and uh, talking about some things. But uh, he's Professor Quasi Apenin Ado, and uh, he's a coastal uh, processes specialist with a gr- vast experience in, in the West African coast. He's uh, in Ghana right now, and he's director of the Institute of Environment and Sanitation Studies at the University of Ghana. He's been uh, his recent focus has been research on developing an integrated approach to sustainable port development, which embraces three perspectives of engineering, ecosystem services and governance, sargassum in West Africa, and he is a member of the expert group of high-level panel for a sustainable ocean economy who provided advice to the high-level panel of uh, 13 heads of government. So uh, we've got a pretty 
pretty important guy here with us today, and uh, and welcome, Quasi. Thank you very much. Quasi, we ask all our guests as a first question, what is sargassum to them? Okay, let me start by saying a big thank you to you for inviting me, and I'm very happy to have this discussion with you. So, sargassum is basically a large brown seaweed. It's a seaweed uh, that floats in, in, in an island, you know, shape, the form of an island. It floats on the ocean. So, it's an island-like masses and never attaches to the sea floor. And we have sargassum all over, and uh, recently it's been a huge problem within the Atlantic. So, um, uh, sargassum in West Africa was observed around 2011. So basically, it's a seaweed, a brown type of seaweed, which you know uh, is devastating the uh, some portions of the coastal areas where I call the vulnerable areas. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. And in what ways, you know, when I was there with Francisco, you know, just about uh, earlier this month. We, uh, Quintana Roo had just had a severe, massive influx of, of sargassum. It was really yucky. Um, when she arrived just a couple of days before that, the, she could smell the uh, rotting sargassum from the bus station. And when we were down there at the beach, we saw a lot of bad stuff. I, exactly what levels have, uh, has sargassum impacted Ghana? Not, not just in the, in the past, but this year as well have y'all been getting these huge severe impacts or has it been kind of similar to previous years i think um we it it keeps changing in terms of quantity you know from year to year and uh, as the volume changes the impact also changes but generally the impacts are the same you know it it impacts the the coastal environment and what we observe in Ghana is that sargassum problem is not along the entire coast. It's, it's concentrated more on the western coast of Ghana, where we share boundary with, uh, with Cote d'Ivoire. So within the western coast of Ghana, we have huge problem with sargassum. Uh, as we speak now, uh, fishermen, artisanal fishers, I mean small-scale fishers, they go to fish and they eventually fish sargassum instead of uh, uh, fishing or going to, to look for fish. So instead of harvesting fish, they rather harvest sargassum. And it's, it's really having a huge impact on the small-scale fishing industry. Again, the, it developing, you know, gradually we're developing our coastal tourism. And uh, sargassum, when they beach along the coast, uh, becomes, you know, it becomes very difficult to to attract people to such coastal areas. So it's also affecting the small scale, let me put it that way, small scale uh, businesses in terms of uh, tourism and uh, hospitality activities. So it's affecting hugely the fishing industry and it's also affecting the hospitality industry. And you also realize that people who are into the small scale fishing industry happen to be the poorest among the poor in the communities. So um, sargassum is really having a huge economic impact because they, they are unable to go to fishing when the, uh, the beaching are very high. And uh, if they go to fishing and they, they catch sargassum, uh, it's, it's a product they cannot sell. 
So it's really making the poor poorer and uh, uh, also making some areas that are uh, vulnerable highly unattractive for uh, tourism activities. Let me, let me uh, expand on that just a little bit. As, you, as we both know, seagrass and mangroves are very important to these fisheries uh, for juvenile and uh, nursery habitats for all the, mainly all the stuff we like to eat live there at some phase of its life. And are you seeing any damage to the, the seagrass meadows or the, um, the mangroves as a result of these massing, massive beaching events? Um, I wouldn't say uh, they are having impact on the, the mangroves, you know, in that area because uh, that area we don't have much mangrove. So I, I wouldn't say that. But what I can say is that because of the inadequate fishing landing sites, we tend to have a lot of natural landing sites. So the beaches are the natural landing site for the fishermen. So once you have Sagasium beaching on, on these beaches, it becomes extremely difficult for the fishermen to land their catch. That is if they are able to catch some fish. Uh, so sometimes you have to travel further off or away from where you would naturally have landed a fish and that also increases costs. So, so um, environmentally, it's having impact. Economically, it's having impact. And socially, it's also having impact. But with regards to the uh, uh, mangroves along the beach, um, we don't, I don't think we have experienced that impact on the mangroves. Do you Thank experience you. any health impacts? Like, do people have health impacts from the gases from the decomposing sargassum, or is that less of a problem? Yes. In fact, uh, discussions we've had with people who live along the coast where sargassum is uh, prevalent there, they report of itching. You know, when they come into contact with the sargassum, they're, they're experiencing, you know, um, uh, body itching. So that is also something that we may have to look at. So it has some health implication. And then when they are decomposing, um, they give up very unpleasant odor. So that makes it extremely difficult to live in those areas, especially when the sargassum are decomposing. So they have some uh, level of health impact on the communities. Yeah, that's true. Um, so you are part of SARTRAC, which um, is a collaboration that spans not just in Africa, but also to the Caribbean. Um, can you tell us a bit about it? Thank you very much. And the um, SARTRAC project is looking at um, Sargassium between, uh, along within the, the, the Atlantic, and it's looking at the Caribbean and then the West Africa. So we're doing a collaborative research to look at, you know, the common issues and how the, the basic concept behind SARTRAC is how do we ensure that sargassum that is um, currently seen as a major problem, how do we derive some, you know, uh, positiveness out of the sargassum? How do we, how do we use sargassum as a resource so that the poorest in the poor community can have some economic gains from sargassum. So that's basically what the research, the Sartrack research is, is doing. So we're working with our colleagues in, uh, in, in the Caribbean. 
They have a lot of experience when it comes to issues regarding potassium. <clears throat> West Africa, the problems are emerging. And as I said, we started having this problem with sargassium from 2011. So we are now beginning to identify the issues. And um, the, 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 the research is looking at the connection between the, the sargassium issue in the Caribbean and that in West Africa. So we can share ideas, share, we have common problems, so can we have common solutions? And how do people in these areas that are highly vulnerable or considered vulnerable uh, can benefit from sargassium as a problem into sargassium becoming uh, a commodity that would be of use? Yeah, very nice. I. I uh, one of the things I've been learning, and we, we've talked to, we've had some very technical uh, interviews here talking about blue carbon and, and sinking stuff and a lot of things. But some of the the interviews that I've enjoyed the most have, have been with people um, who are making soaps, organic fertilizers, and papers from these things. There are a lot of people doing some very interesting things with this. And I, I think that a lot of these things could eventually become, you know, um, high-value export commodities that you know could bring money into these communities and 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 those are those are some of the most exciting things to me things that can when the way sargassum can be used in that way and i'll um we've also interviewed people that uh have uh, are are taking the uh the, the the wastewater from rum distilleries and uh making biofuel with uh when they mix it with sargassum so that, there's a lot of interesting stuff out there and i i hope you'll you know that, that you're all spreading this kind of information around this this is just very exciting to me and all um so can you tell us a little bit about your role in star trek yes so uh, before i tell you about my role so in in summary to the previous question i can say that uh, we're trying to star trek is also trying to identify the adaptation opportunities that can be generated through the management and reuse of the invasive sargassium. So, what are the adaptation opportunities that are there, which we can we can we can um, uh, identify? Now, my role in the project is um, managing the Ghana part of the project. So, we have um, this uh, uh, consortium between Ghana, the Caribbean, and then University of Southampton, as well as University of York in the UK. So, I am managing the Ghana uh, part of the project. And what I'm doing is to help in using drones, remote sensing and GIS to monitor and map the West Africa sargassium flow. So we want to understand the flow in West Africa. So those of us in Ghana, I am working, you know, we're working to try and use the, the drone and remote sensing approach in addition to GIS to map sargassium flow in West Africa. We also want to identify the impact of sargassium. And like I mentioned, how is it impacting on the fisheries you know, activities and then other related activities along our coast? And then what are the adaptation opportunities that are there? So we are looking at all these, and I'm, I'm part of the team that is looking at all these in Ghana. And then we're also looking at um, what are the existing policies and are the existing policies addressing issues that are related to sargassum? If they are not, then what, how can our project inform policy decision in Ghana and that which can also be rolled over to the West Africa? So we're trying to identify the social, 
and economic distribution of gains and losses from sargassum impact, as well as to uh, adaptation used to manage the invasion. So that is generally the role that I am playing. You are looking at the biophysical dynamics and looking at the 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 how it can, you know, um, integrated into policy decisions uh, so that beyond Ghana, West Africa can also benefit from it. Very cool, and I think that's very needed that looking at not just your country, but how the actually um, work with sargassum and and turn it into opportunity, especially since you said the fishermen are already taking it out. So if there was just some, some way of using it, they could make money with it. Um, you also proposed to set up a, a network for the Gulf of Gidea um, on sargassum. Why do you think such a network is needed? Yes. Um, thank you again. The, you realize that because the problem has not been well researched into in West Africa, you have people looking at it from different angles and uh, not in a well-coordinated manner. So the, the basic concept behind the network is to identify all the key stakeholders who have interest in sargassium activities and bring the stakeholders together so that uh, we can use a common platform to address our common problem. Because sargassium is not being identified in quite a number of the West African countries. So can we identify those who are doing research in sargassium in West Africa and what, what lessons are they learning? Can we identify those who have general interest in sargassium and what, what are their interests? Can we identify those in the policy arena who are, you know, what are the issues? So the, the network is to bring all the people who are interested in West Africa, identify them, bring them together so that we can begin to sensitize, you know, our communities, sensitize our government about the issues of sargassum. And you also realize that... Uh, we we need to really understand what is going on in terms of sargassum and when i talk about understanding trying to understand the the sources of sargassum the drivers the transport the frequency and predictability of of sargassum so can we come together and go and look for funding so as to be able to research into these problems and come up with solutions that will be of benefit to our sub-region. So I think that the, the, the network will create that platform where we can share ideas, where we can share our challenges, and where we can share our success stories together. And we can do this through webinars, which we are planning to organize a webinar uh, quite soon. We can do this through workshops. We can do this through uh, conferences. So where, where we share our success stories together. So that is the whole idea, bringing together all the, the interested stakeholders so that we can talk about sargassum in West Africa. actually did that in the Caribbean. So um, as you probably know, um, people like Brigitte von Tussenbrook and um, Ligia and Claire Morale, they all got together and we're like, okay, we need a network. And 
we had our first meeting at a conference, I think in 2019. Yes, I think 2019, um, with about 10, 15 people in the room. Some people um, um, joining from their computers. And then Sarknet was, was coming out of it. And, and now it is a pretty big community of scientists and, and other people who are exchanging how they're working with sargassum and and it helps definitely to to collaborate mm. yes so that is what we want to do in west africa in addition to that we also need to we need to identify how to you know create a platform for discussion so this also create give us that platform where we can have discussions on sargassum and then and then also um uh, where I, I believe we can we can begin to look at things you know and talk about the problems you know and i think once once we are confronted with the problem we are better uh, we are we are in a better position to to talk about the problems at, at that level and one other thing that we also want to do with the network is to have a bulletin where we can periodically put in the public domain you know issues with regards to sargassium in a bulletin form so that uh, policymakers, people who are have interest in these areas scientists can also read and get to know what is going on yeah, yeah. well if you get this bulletin going make sure that you send us links to it when they every time they come out and we'll uh we'll share that material on our social media account so that we can get the word out to a larger audience and uh and, and also yeah so we appreciate that you know, because the more information that we have out there, the better. And um, and if we're not sharing the information, we're hoarding it. And and you know, that's what a lot about what our project is about is about sharing information. So thank you for that. That's a wonderful idea. Mm -hmm. And all. Um, but going back to the network, you know, my, my project, I'm set, trying to set up a global network doing things. Um, you know, uh, acknowledging local ecological knowledge systems are important and integrating that into Western science. How, do, how um, what steps do you think need to be taken to create a network like you're, like you're trying to set up? Yeah, um, a network like this, first of all, need to identify the key people who will be interested. Identify the key people is, to me, is, is, is a major hurdle that we have to, because you, you don't have a lot of publications where you can contact people who are authors and are already doing things in this area. So we, we need to find a way of identifying key uh, 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 parties or key interested you know, people to be part of it. So that is the, the first step. And the second one is sharing the vision together. You can identify somebody, but if the person is not buying into the vision, it becomes difficult to you know, establish the network. So uh, we will also spend time to share the vision and let them appreciate why the need for such a network. And probably the third one is um, bringing people with different views, different opinions together. Because people have different views. Some see it as a, a huge nuisance. It's, it's a huge problem and we don't want to have anything to do with Sadasia. How do you, how do you, you know, convince such a person to buy into the vision? But although it may be a nuisance, but we need to talk about it so that what we are going through today, future generation will not go through it. 
or at least future generation will have something to build upon to make their life better than we have it today so 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 bringing them together bringing people with different views different ideology different concept is something that we also need to work on so these are the three key things that i consider as steps in setting up the network and of course hinging these three key things together is funding you know so uh, for us to move it forward we will need money to actualize this vision that we have yes for sure it does take a lot of funding to to get people together and it also takes a lot of time to to research who all is in this field and then um creating these spaces where discussion can take place is is also um, a huge task um i want to talk to you a little bit about climate change as well so you have been nominated for the climate change and, and environmental millennium excellent award in 2020 and i know you have looked at a lot of um, things climate change related um, on the coast of ghana so i wanted to ask you what kind of changes have you seen on the coast of ghana and in the region due to climate change thank you very much um so from sagasium to climate change and uh, climate change related issues along the coast of ghana yes uh, we are experiencing impacts of climate change and um, the the impact are very very severe along our coast the first one i can talk about is increased coastal erosion and uh, increasing coastal erosion uh, is now being felt along greater part of um, our coast in ghana so we've identified some hotspots where erosion is a major uh, issue and then there's also increasing flooding in recent times and uh, areas that used not to flood are now being flooded we are now experiencing increasing storm surge so uh, the low-lying areas are now being flooded and some areas are even getting inundated we are also experiencing um, sea level rise gradually experiencing sea level rise and that can explain why we are also experiencing flooding so you realize that sea level rise is is really being fueled by climate uh, change and again some farmers along the coast are also experiencing sea water intrusion so instead of having fresh water for their farm products now some are experiencing the presence of uh, sea water and this is really affecting coastal farming activities so by and large climate change is really having a toll on the coast of ghana we are also now researching into how uh, subsidence is also playing a role in all these things so we agree that human activities has influenced some of the changes but climate change is also driving a huge change along our coast and it's having huge impact on the livelihood of people within the coastal area but again talking about impact on the eastern side of our coast where we have the volta delta erosion is very high in those areas and we can attribute erosion to the effect of climate change because sea level is rising and there are so many activities and because of the increased erosion and increasing flooding we are also experiencing or we identified that 
there is some level of migration from the vulnerable communities. But it will interest you to know that the migration is more related on or is being or uh, is on the line of gender. You tend to have the men migrating, leaving behind the women and the children. So now we are also having what I term as increasing female-headed household. So females are now heading households. They are taking care of their children, providing for the needs of the family, and ensuring that they also play the role of husband because the men are migrating to go and look for money and then bring the money home. So it's, there's been a lot of you know, impact on the coastal area in terms of climate change and their associated impact on the social and economic life of people along the coast is severe. Wow. Yeah, that definitely sounds like climate change is here and it's real, not like some people still think it's something for the future. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we have evidence to, well, uh, unfortunately, we have evidence to show that climate change is real, is here, and the impact is felt, and uh, we all need to do something about it. Yeah, one, one world, one people, one team. Yeah. And uh, and that's the only way to, to deal with these massive global issues today is, is realizing we're we're it's one team. Yes. Are there any adaptation and resilience um, in um, projects going on in Ghana to help people deal with climate change? Yes, there are a couple of funded projects that are going on in Ghana and uh, looking at adaptation and uh, how are people adapting to some of these and also there are some mitigation you know uh, measures that are also being put in place uh, so there are a couple of projects a uh, project we did called the DECMA project uh, we looked at uh, my you know we looked at climate change and we look at vulnerability the risk and then we also try to look at how migration is being used as an adaptation tool in the vulnerable areas. And we identify that people are now using migration as an adaptation, you know, within the, the vulnerable areas, you know, that are being hugely impacted by, by climate change. But apart from that, there are um, some measures that are going on trying to lessen the impact of climate change uh, on the people. People are also in their own, their own way trying to adapt to the situation um, some are uh, developing new ways to 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 coexist with the system uh, with a new normal people are developing new ways to coexist with 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 the, with, the, with the system so some are coming out with innovative uh, uh, so sources of livelihood so as to be able to make up for the lost livelihood as a result of the impact of climate change so um and again we also we are also experiencing a huge decline in fish stock so as a result of climate change so the fishermen are also being impacted so we are now encouraging the fishermen to go into aquaculture so as to be able to make up for the losses and those that can go into other type of activities are also being given opportunities to to do that and last week we were in one area a vulnerable area where we identified that female headed you know headship has increased as a result of the migration of male as i talked about and uh, we had a project where we looked at how do we 
how do we ensure that these females are not unduly disadvantaged? So we, we look at the challenges because uh, the problem is that they also don't have easy access to land. So land tenure becomes a major problem. So farming, they can farm, but they, some of them may not be able to own a land. Okay, so these were some of the challenges that we were looking at. So yes, there are some projects going on trying to look at how best we can help the communities that are vulnerable uh, in terms of adaptation and in terms of mitigation. Excellent, excellent. I really like what you said about, you know, fishermen going into uh, um, mariculture projects and stuff like that. I I, uh, I think that a big part of what we're looking at for, for our research is that, you know, when you, you when you come into a community and say you can't do this anymore, so many times an, an alternative is not offered, and all and and a couple of things we're trying to integrate into our material into our materials is um, how do how how a couple of brothers, for example, could uh, have a small aquaculture project replace that protein, and uh, also re you know replace some of the money that'd be generated doing this other stuff. Uh, we're working on something right now with a young lady um, in. Uh, Jose Maria Morales. She works with bees because honey can be a, a very valuable secondary income as well. So um, we just we just consider that to be a very important part of conservation efforts is alternative ways to replace protein in, in these finances. And so I, I was really glad to hear you talking about that. Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Yeah, I think we're at the end of our interview. Unless Robbie, you have another question for Quasi. Oh, I, I think I've got a lot to unpack with this interview already, and uh, he, he shared a lot of interesting things with us. Thank you. Okay, thank you, and uh, let me also say thank you again, and I wish you well. Bye-bye. Okay, we'll be in contact. All Take right. care, Quasi. Thank you. thank you so much, Quasi. You're welcome. Bye. Wow, Francisco, what do you think about all that? Uh, it was really interesting. I mean... It just seems to be an even bigger struggle in Africa than in the Caribbean because there's less funding available and in the Caribbean people have come together already forming this network but in Africa they're just starting to do that. So yeah, I really hope that it will work out to make this network because I think they really need it and yeah, so that they can can do the work in a, a more coordinated way and help each other out and collaborate and and really find opportunities that work for Africa and and the coast there. Yeah, well, you know, you talked about Caribbean being already prepared a little bit better, and uh, and there's certainly it's certainly true there are people that are better prepared, or different nations, but some of the nations have been have kind of dropped the ball on it and. And with these, you know, severe inundations of, of uh, this year, this season, um, being caught with their pants down, and they're, you know, they're a day late and a dollar short. Whereas some of the countries around them, I, I, uh, I talked to a couple of people in uh, one particular country, and they, no, it's not happening here. They, they work with the lobster fishery in that country. No, it's not happening here. And yet we, we know that it is for. You know, I, I don't want to say too much to identify, <laughs> identify who these people are, but um, but it's it's happening there. You know, I'm like I'm sorry, you, you work with the, 
you know, you're about education and you're working with lobster fish. Of course it's happening there. How can you tell me that? You know I know better. And and so, and, and these are, are, are biologists and all that have been, you know, sitting on the sidelines thinking things are going to get better. So it's not just, that's just not a West Africa thing. It's, it's happening in the region where we work the most as well. And I could name mm-hmm. several countries right now that, um, are, are, are are essentially caught with their pants down. Have no idea. Oh, what what is this? It's never been this bad before, Langi. Yeah. We no, we told no, we told you yeah. it was coming. We yeah, told no, you. you. You are very right. However, at least they already have a network going of scientists and governments and a lot of webinars where people <laughs> learn from each other, um, which. They would be in even more trouble if they didn't have that. But yes, psychasm is a huge problem. And when it arrives on as big masses, as much of an influx as it is this year, and it may be the the biggest year yet, even bigger than 2018, all these governments and hotels, they are still not prepared for these masses. Part of it may be because they don't have the funds to just get extra boats, get extra barriers. And then sometimes these things also don't work. Like if you have high seas, then the sargassum gets over the barrier and you cannot get the boat out. We had a boat actually sink here in Quintana Roo um, like a few weeks ago. So then they are like, okay, we cannot go out on this rough seas. We have to keep the sargassum boats in. And then you you're back at um, shoveling off the beaches, uh, this massive amount of sargassum that arrives. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, th- I think that um, it's just been a people like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to do the minimum we can instead of um, carrying it to the next level. And uh, but I think this year has really got people's attention of um, that we need to be looking at uh, preventative measures as opposed to just reactive measures. And yeah. and that's and, and that's that preventative uh projects have has to be uh, a priority i believe and and and, and deal with that for gets here but try to mitigate it before it it turns but turn before it makes the beach stink you know? yes for sure yeah when we were walking through there the other day um you know uh down from the cenote by the sea and i stepped in that stuff and sank up to my, my knees it seemed like the nasty stuff I'd ever been in my life. I just, it just, and I've been, you know, I've been a lot of, done a lot of things, but that just was, just completely grossed me out. And it's, you know, and it was up to my knee and just rotting sargassum. I had no idea it was that deep right there. And I, and that was on the beach. And, yes. and, and I'm sure. And there's people spending hours a day cleaning up that rotting mess on the beach. Well, they, they were running those machines there the entire time I was there. Uh, cleaning it up, and they and it doesn't look like they did anything much more than put a dent in it, and because uh, it kept coming in, and all, and, and and these things need to be scaled up, and uh, you know yeah, we need but to. The, the problem is money, right? Like these governments and also the hotels, they don't have. Well, that 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 that, that particular well that particular hotel, I think it had the money. You know, that's a that, yeah. Yeah, that particular one. Part of the beach, like where the cenote is, um, is is um, public beach. And then you, we walked past the hotel, and then we got to the public beach again. So you have all these different players. 
And oh no, I, I agree with that, but but it was still bad in front of that hotel. And, and and that hotel must have been about a, 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 a half a kilometer long. Or, yes, I mean, it, it was huge. It is huge, and, um, but it also had COVID-related losses in income during all of last year and this year. So I don't think many of the hotels have a lot of money over to clean up sargassum. You know? Well, I'm not. I'm not saying all. In general, I was talking about this specific one huge giant hotel, and oh uh, yeah, there's cer certainly a lot of smaller. I, mean, I think most hotels are smaller than that, and all, uh, and and certainly they would be struggling. Um, my my point was that this huge hotel that looks like it has tremendous assets was also struggling. Yes. And, it's um, probably so, yeah. as a huge hotel it had even bigger losses due to COVID because it had even less people staying there. And, you know, it also means there's a lot of um, staff to pay and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if a bigger hotel actually has better means now that we had COVID and that that they're struggling overall. But yeah, yeah. everybody's struggling a bit. Yeah, well, the um, thing is, if you, if, you, if you don't get it cleaned up, people aren't going to want to come to the beach, which is going to continue that downward spiral. Yes. Yeah. Um, the other really interesting thing I thought about the interview, getting back to Africa rather than talking about Quintana Roo um, in our debrief, um, was um, his observation that the men are migrating due to climate change leaving the women um, to look after their their families. And I've read lately in different places saying that women are more vulnerable to climate change um, impacts. And this really clearly shows an example of that. Well, yeah, well, women are usually the group that's most, women and children are usually the group that's most severely impacted by any uh, environmental disasters because they're the ones that are the least mobile at all. Um, and uh, I, I think, you know, women in general, but more over probably uh, women with children at all that it, it was gets, probably hit gets doubly hard. And um, and so, yeah, it was, it's interesting to hear him describing it the way he is. I think that's the first time we've had anybody bring that up in our in our podcast. And uh, and though it was sad to be aware of it, we were, I'm really glad that they uh, that it was brought up and, and brought to the forefront and and we can begin that discussion. And maybe we can include questions like about stuff like that uh, in our future interviews. Yes, for sure. Well, excellent, everybody. Um, Thank you for being here today with the, for the, our first uh, West Africa interview for the, uh, Professor Kwasi in uh, Ghana. And all, we're very happy to have him here. And, um, you know, Francisca and I are glad to be here again today. And, and we're very glad you could have been anywhere in the world today. And you chose to be here with us. So we're, we're really thankful and we welcome you to the podcast. Let everybody know about our work uh, because, you know, we won't, our, our project's about communication. And if everybody's not hearing about us, we're, we're not doing our job well. So please, uh, please feel free to, uh, you know, like and share us and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And uh, I look forward to seeing you next week. Yes, me too. Have a good week, everyone.
Thank you for tuning in today and learning with us from our guests. If you want more information about what our guests talk about today, then please check our show notes for links and information in our archives. And don't forget to like and share our podcast with your friends. If you enjoyed our podcast, please consider supporting us financially by becoming a Patreon. For as little as $1 per month, you can support us and get the exclusive benefit of submitting questions for our interviewees before the interview. The Sargasm Podcast is produced by Marine Conservation Without Borders and is made possible with financial support from Seafields. It is produced by Marcel Van de Camp, Lauren Blankenship, Cleo Maridakas, Francisca Elmer, and Eloise Lopez, and is hosted by Robbie Thigpan, Francesca Elmer, Mar Fernandez, Florence Menez, Cleo Maridakas, and Paula Diaz. We will be back next week with another exciting guest. The music of this podcast is from the song Demo Prey by Drizzle, the Roadrunner, an artist from Roatan. Follow him on Spotify or YouTube for more music. But for now, here is the full song Demo Prey. Hey, brother. Hear me now. Brother, dog. Know me. Understand. Now, but them no one be see we get nothing. That's why they my free and always front and star. Now, but them no one be see we get nothing. That's why they my free. Now, but them my free. Free, they my free. They my free. Me no progress. Now, but them my free. They my free. Me no reap success. Now, but them my free. They my free, me no gain progress, not for them my free. They my free, me no reap success, so me tell them ya. Promises for money, no take that, only if it come from jail, I'll accept that. Not for them, I put the trust in and give me setback. Yo, select that, will and pull up that, tell some wicked that. But my thing no fair them, anytime them cheat and chat, me no hear them. Me dash a few hearts, so body queer them. Me dash a few hearts, so tell them where them. Not for them, I'm free. They my free, me no gain progress. Not for them, I'm free. They my free, me no reap success, so me tell them, yeah. Yes, me know me have a lot of fake friends But me never woulda taught me woulda have fake family So me tell them straight, me no trust them Me no trust you and me no trust him Fake friend lost bad mind in a real life star Me no rate that star, me no rate that Me real family woulda bust a million shot in a real life Now for them a free Them a free, me no gain progress Now for them a free they my free, me no great success. Now for them a free. They my free, me no gain progress. Now for them a free. They my free, me no great success. So me tell you, yeah. Like, but they my hate and grudge and creep on mine. They my move like Judas. They my move like Judas. Plus, everybody have a life to live. So when they give one rash clock, who I try judge me like them chit and chat. So what them want to say? Cause none of them out there not feed me. Now them a free. They my free me no gain progress. Now for them a free. They my free me no rape success. Now for them a free 
Yeah.